Alright, you ready? Rob Rob can just Rob can just bleep bleep me like thirty times and put this as the cold open. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome one and all to episode 135 of the original Draft Breakdown Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Cox. With me tonight, my co-host, Justin Higdon. And Justin, we are uh, enjoying the ever-changing landscape of college football every week. Uh, We are enjoying the parody-driven NFL every week. And... Now we get to talk about, well, some Senior Bowl stuff already. But before we get to that, how are you doing, man? I'm doing well. Um, I think enjoying the NFL is kind of a strong term uh, because I I'm certainly didn't that, enjoy what? my uh, Browns losing 45-7 to and yeah, giving up 45 unanswered points. Your team Sunday. must not be a top two team in the AFC. I don't know what that's like. <laughs> well, it's it's great because we're back to discussing quarterbacks now because uh, it, it looked like maybe Mayfield was going to solidify a position that has been unsolidified for 20-plus years, but now it's looking like he can't, and and now the discussion is toward his, his contract extension. And the possibility of that, you know, they did pick up his option for next year. So I don't think it's a, uh, a matter of urgency, but there's certainly a lot of discussion about whether or not the Browns are going to be in the market for quarterbacks. And I think we're going to talk about some quarterbacks on this show. So I don't, I don't know that 2022 is the year for the Browns to go shopping yet because they have, they still have a pretty good team around Baker. Um, it's probably better for them to try and hide him for another year or so before they get back into that pool, at least as far as drafting is concerned. But, um, yeah, it was not a fun Sunday, but it was a fun Saturday because my Buckeyes scored 59 on Purdue. And um, that was a team that has knocked off two top five teams. They couldn't do it a third time. Yeah, but let's get into that. The uh, top five for the original Draft Breakdown podcast, uh, I mean, it continues to move all over the place, but I think we're getting closer and closer to you and I being comfortable with who we have. And, and number one, again, they they it took them, what, a quarter and a half to get going this week, but Georgia, I mean, they just look like they're playing a different game than everybody else this year. On defense, yes. Uh, on offense, I'm still a little bit skeptical. Of it. You know, and, and the, the point that some people have made to me, which I find interesting, is that Georgia, you know, as it turns out, their schedule has been fairly easy. Um, they're not playing anybody tough down the stretch, certainly, until they face a- possibly Alabama in the, in the championship game for the conference. But we thought Clemson was going to be a good team. They're not. Um, they're not, at least not the usual Clemson team. So that 10-3 win in week one, it doesn't uh, look as good as it could have been if Clemson was was their usual selves. So uh, not to take away from Georgia because certainly their defense has been otherworldly. We, but we saw Tennessee move the ball on them early in that game and – a lot of commentators on Saturday made the point that they think that uh, 
there is a team, and we'll talk about them in a second, who could move the ball, who potentially move the ball against Georgia. And I'm not talking about Alabama, although I think they probably could too. Number two, we're going to keep them here until they they join the rest of the teams we've cursed, and that's, that's Cincinnati. Um, you know, they continue to win. And, that I mean, at the end of the day, that's all you can ask of these teams, right? That they just win. And um, since he's playing good enough football in a season where this is – I know we talk about it every week. This is probably the last, last or the first best chance for a group of five team to make the college football playoff. And they're still on the outside looking in, but I think it's getting closer. Yeah, we're going to put them at two, but they're not going to be in the top four on uh, Tuesday night when the playoff rankings come out. So um, we are respecting the fact that they're undefeated and that when it comes to the top of this list, only Georgia remains. Um, We do still have uh, Texas San Antonio in the mix as far as undefeateds, but we're not going to... We're not going to go that far down the... Yeah, it's just not football landscape yet. No, and and Texas Antonio. We'll actually talk about one of their players later, but um, it's just they're just not competing for a national championship. They're kind of in the Coastal Carolina twenty twenty category. So um, yeah, I I I think it's fair to put Cincy here, but I uh, don't think the committee's going to agree with us on this. And um, you know, at number three, we've got Ohio State. And they did lose to Oregon, but Oregon is still a one-loss team as well. And we, we're going to talk about them a little bit more in a few minutes. But the reason we, we have Ohio State ranked ahead of Oregon is because they have a better loss. And that's kind of the, the, the theme of the next three teams we're going to talk about. Uh, Ohio State losing to Oregon week two is a better loss than Oregon losing to Stanford, who is, is it's just not a good team, or even um, Alabama losing to A and M, and then uh, and, narrowly and beating uh, LSU. Yeah, and I've talked about it like that Bama loss, and Bama's number four for us. That Bama loss to A and M is not as you know impressive as what I was hoping that A and M would be this year. I mean. Zach Calveta's been fine. You know, they lost again, so they've now got three losses on the season. But they haven't been, you know, nearly as dynamic offensively as as everybody expected them to be. And I get when you lose your starting quarterback, but that's also the difference between teams like Ohio State, um, Alabama, and, and Georgia, and everybody else, right? Like, when... When your starting quarterback goes down, the season shouldn't be over because it's college. You should have another four or five star recruit in the fold that can, you know, at least give you some semblance of the same thing. And we've seen that happen at Bama. We've seen that happen at Ohio State. You know, and I'm not saying that they have to be great prospects, but we saw Cardell Jones lead this, you know, the Buckeyes to a national title. We saw, uh, you know, Jalen Hurts and Tua Tagovailoa go back and forth. Like it's, it's okay to have your your 
best quarterback, or at least the guy you think is your best quarterback, get injured uh, in college. This is not the pros. And so that that's what makes that Bama loss look worse and worse is the more Calveda and, and A&M lose, the, the worse that Bama loss looks. Because while A&M's got, what, four or five first-round guys, or we'll say top 60 guys, um, they, I mean, they str- they've struggled against Arkansas, and now they struggled against Ole Miss this week. Yeah, no, it, I mean, we like Ole Miss. We think Ole Miss is, is a good team. Um, but I get your point, and really, it's we're kind of splitting hairs, too, between Ohio State and Alabama. You know, the AP pollsters, they still love Alabama. Alabama's number two. Uh, they're just chalking up that loss to A&M as kind of a fluke. But you you have to look, I think, at the LSU game a couple weeks ago where LSU was a 500 team going into that game, and uh, Alabama had a tougher time with them. So they seem vulnerable. Ohio State has seemed vulnerable, too, at some points. You know, Nebraska gave Ohio State a tough go of it a couple weeks ago. But it's nice to see Ohio State bounce back and have a decisive win. And the thing is, as we say it on a weekly basis, this is going to sort itself out because now Ohio State's got Michigan State at home and Michigan on the road. If Ohio State beats those two teams and then goes on to the Big Ten Championship and wins that game, they're a no-brainer for the playoffs at this point in this landscape with so few undefeated teams. If they lose one of those games, they're out, and it'll sort itself out. You don't have to complain about the rankings because if you know if Michigan State beat comes into Columbus and beats Ohio State, Ohio State's done. If Michigan beats Ohio State uh, in Ann Arbor, Ohio State's probably done. So you don't have to worry about this. There are still games that are going to help us sort this out. The SEC, though, it still looks like it's going to be sorted out by the SEC championship game. And if Bama can beat Georgia, they're in. Deservingly, both of those teams are probably in. Yeah, and Oregon's our number five team. And let's be honest, one our poll, one, three, four, and five, are going to be the, the top five in, in the college football playoffs when it's released on. Exactly. It's going to be uh, the college football playoff rankings are going to be Georgia, Bama, I believe Oregon, at three and Ohio State at four. So what you're going to see is Oregon and Ohio State getting bumped up uh, a spot each, right? Yeah. So when you look at this top five, Cincy needs Bama. I mean, they, they just need OSU, Bama, or Oregon to, to lose again. That I mean, that's basically their only chance at this point, right? I mean, obviously, they have to run the table. We we all know that. But they need one of those teams to lose again. Right, which is what we've been saying for weeks now. Um, they, got, they got the boost they needed from uh, Oklahoma losing. Oklahoma now appears probably to be out of it. Um, you know, it, if a lot of strange things happen, maybe they can jump back in. But what you have, um, I, and I'm looking at last week, it was Georgia, Bama, Oregon, Ohio State actually was the college football playoff rankings. So you can pretty much say those are unchanged. Those are not going to change. 
this week. Um, if anything, maybe Ohio State leapfrogs Oregon, but I don't think that's going to happen because you still have that head-to-head. So if you're, if you're, I'm correcting myself from a moment ago. If you're looking at those college football playoff rankings that are going to come out on Tuesday night, which this show will go, come out earlier in the day, um, you're going to have an unchanged top four, and in fact, probably an unchanged top five, top six, really, because Cincinnati and Michigan both won last week as well. So um, you're going to have to go all the way down to like eight where Oklahoma lost and Notre Dame won, and that's probably the first change you're going to see this week. Let's move on to one of the more interesting conversations that came up this past weekend, and that's um, Bruce Feldman's Senior Bowl article in The Athletic. Uh, When Feldman writes, this podcast tends to listen. And and this was a really interesting one because it was about the Senior Bowl and who uh, Jim Nagy is looking at and looking to bring in and invite. Um, how would you kind of overall summarize the article? Yeah, this was a good inside baseball look at – the senior bowl staff and their process. And uh, I guess my takeaway is that Feldman spent some time with Jim Nagy and his staff kind of, um, as we, as we near like the, the point where invitations are actually getting accepted at this moment. And that's one thing I want to qualify. You might hear us talking about some players today. And by the time you listen to this, they might have already accepted invitations to the senior bowl at this point. Um, the invitations are going out fast and furious for both senior bowl and shrine bowl right now. So what I I would say is that this was a good inside look where they invited Bruce Feldman. who's a very good reporter into the draft or into the draft room, I guess, so to speak into the war room for the senior bowl. And they talked about which guys that, they wanted to bring in which guys they're hearing the NFL wants them to bring in and a little bit about some players that they're on the fence about because the NFL might not be too keen on them or they might have some off the field issues or something like that. Um, so we'll get to that in a second. But the big thing, of course, is always going to be the quarterbacks, right? And Jim Nagy essentially tells Bruce Feldman here in this article, and and I do suggest to our listeners, go ahead and subscribe to The Athletic because you'll get to um, read Feldman's articles on the regular. He, he does the freak list, which we refer back to. He, he does stuff like this where he's doing some reporting. It's a good site, and you get access to a lot of other uh, writers as well. But anyway... Um, he basically says, you know, everybody's trying to f- figure out who are the senior bowl quarterbacks every year. And he, Nagy essentially tells Bruce Feldman, they're going to invite Kenny Pickett, Malik Willis, and Desmond Ritter. He starts kind of starts off like that. I don't think that's a big surprise to anybody, but it, it was interesting that those were the first three. And uh, we don't have Matt Corral in the mix 
in that list because you know he's a redshirt junior. Is he going to be eligible? I don't know. That's a question, I guess. You look at the names in the uh, in the article. One of the names that stood out to us, and he's already accepted, is uh, Western Kentucky's Bailey Zappi. Zappi, correct? We'll go with that. That's what we're going with. So maybe it's Zappi. That's what maybe I was wondering. Is he French? Yeah. We'll we'll say Zappi. Because he, he goes to Western Kentucky, and that's probably how um, it's pronounced locally, right? Either that or Zap. <laughs> it's probably zap. just like maybe Zap. zap. He's, he's an FCS transfer, though. He came up to the FBS to go to Western Kentucky. Yeah, uh, this is the Vernon, the real Vernon Adams, right? <laughs> you know, uh, that's a funny comp. Um, obviously they're not they're not anything like his prospects but it's the same idea right he, he got he comes from FCS he goes to an FBS school in a group of five uh Vernon Adams went to power five but he, uh he Zappi is just like lighting up the FBS statistically I think he leads the country in touchdowns maybe in yards as well so from a sheer volume standpoint he's lighting it up and uh but it's funny that you know they talk about him in the article and there's some back and forth about is he does he have the size does he have the arm and that's the discussion so i think that goes to the heart of what these all-star games are all about the nfl wants to see a player like bailey zappi play against tougher competition so even though he took a step up from fcs to fbs group of five now they're asking him they're asking Jim Nagy and his people, let's have this guy take another step up and play against even better competition. And so the Senior Bowl is banking on that they can get uh, good enough defensive players to commit this year to give this kid a challenge. So it's very. this is a very interesting one. They talk about in the article as somebody they're kind of thinking about. And then here on uh, Monday this week, they actually – confirm that he has accepted the invitation. Yeah, that's an interesting one. He's It's going to be fun to watch him because it'll be a lot of people's first exposure. They list him, again, this is on a college football sports reference. They list him at 6'1", 220 pounds. Um, you know, he's completing 71% of his passes. For so he's built like Mayfield and Sam Howell. He's built like a guy like that. Yeah, he's completed 71% of his passes for 4,170 yards, 42 touchdowns, 7 interceptions. Obviously, statistically having a fantastic year. Um, I'm sure we'll get an age on him somewhere eventually. Uh, but, yeah, and I mean, the first thing right off the bat is going to be the measurement, to your point. Like, does he come in at 6'1"? Over, does he come in over six feet and over two hundred and ten pounds? So those are going to be important numbers for him to hit, just at Senior Bowl weigh-in. I've got and an age for us too, by the way. He's he will turn twenty-three right around draft time in April, late April. So, so yeah, I mean, it'll be. Interesting. So he's not overaged or anything. He's a normal senior quarterback couple names on the radar of the Senior Bowl, and there's a couple that we'll talk about that 
aren't. Um, Jake Hayner is the uh, Fresno, or sorry, the. No, you're right. Oh yeah, Fresno State. He he moved. From he transferred Washington. from Washington, right? Yeah, yeah, and then um, Hendon Hooker, who had a you know decent uh, game this week uh, against against Georgia. I mean, I think that was probably the best quarterback play we've seen against Georgia this year, wouldn't you say? Yeah, Hendon Hooker has actually played really well this year since taking – we can't figure out why Joe Milton was the initial starter for Tennessee because Hendon Hooker, who transferred from Virginia Tech, has played so much better as the starter at Tennessee. He played pretty well against Alabama. He, he held his own against Georgia. I mean, he had them out to an early lead, I think, in that game. Um, Hooker is a, is a big guy. Six he's four, got mobile. Li- six yeah, four, go one ninety. They list him at. I think the he's one ninety heavier than that. The one ninety might be concerning if he. I mean, again, that's why these. One of the things that comes out, and I know a lot of people like to make fun of them. One of the things that comes out are, are actual size measurements for guys. Um, right. Yeah. Okay, they list him at two fifteen. Yeah, Tennessee's got him up so. to 218 now. Yeah, so, so he's got plenty of size. He's got he's got a good arm. He's accurate on the deep balls, which you know draft Twitter loves. Um, they they pepper the timeline with highlights of deep throws. Look at Carson Strong. Search him on your timeline and tell me that you know every highlight that they're showing is just a deep ball. Not to take anything away from that, but that's not always the uh, the toughest throw as we know we talk about like hash mark to sideline throws um and and as we get more into the draft season we'll we'll get a better read on guys actual like full arm strength but i'm not that's not a concern for me for a hooker and he's also a mobile guy up until last week at least he was number two rusher on tennessee as well so um if I watched him at, at Virginia Tech, and I remember uh, having conversations with other people that I said, Look, this guy seems like he has something, right? But I want to say, because I want to be fair, I've harped on Kenny Pickett for his age. Hendon Hooker's going to turn 24, I believe, in January. So we're not talking about a player who is going to be a first-round prospect. But what we are talking about and, and what they talk about in the article is that he's a player who's on the senior bowl radar. So they think he is a potential, I would say probably third round to fifth round prospect as far as the NFL's thinking right now. Right? He's gone from a player that they that people in the NFL didn't really believe in to a player they want to see more of in a senior bowl setting. That's a positive sign for him. I think he's a player that we need to start talking about more in this quarterback class because I think this quarterback class has a lot of openings for guys to rise. Those are the quarterbacks that are talked about. We're getting another small school offensive lineman this year named to just look out for, and Justin and I are not going to fake like we know who this is. Uh, Cole, Cole Strange. I shouldn't say that we don't know who he is, but that we've watched him play extensively. <laughs> he, yeah, right. We, he goes to Chattanooga, 
And uh, I've, I actually visited Chattanooga over the summer. It's a great town. And there was a lot of fun stuff to do for, for a family. Um, but I have not watched uh, Chattanooga football. But what I can tell you about Cole Strange is just look at this Senior Bowl small school invites over the years, right? Quinn Miners, Ali Marpet. Um, to help me out here, there there were some other guys even before. I know Dylan Raddins last year from North Dakota State. Um, but over the years, they've invited these uh, small school guys that have done very well. And they end up going in the second, third round. So we're going to watch Cole Strange for sure because – it's he's one of those guys. He's kind of been blessed by big draft. That's something we've talked about before. Once Jim Nagy blesses you, he he, he runs an all star game. That's going to be a big boost to your stock. There's a couple players in the game that they or that they talk about as overrated. Um, uh, you know, <laughs> one of them they. They they say one uh, it was an offensive lineman right that they said was overrated, and uh, Feldman describes him as kind of a prominent name, but we don't know who it is. And then there's another one that's a defensive lineman who they describe as a turd. <laughs> Do you have a problem with them kind of mentioning this without naming names? Yeah, just because you know they're one. It, it keeps them bulletproof, right? Like, one, it keeps them... If if this is your opinion of a guy, if this is your scouting of a guy, and you're saying this, um, then own it, right? Especially if they're going to end up being... I mean, does that mean they're not going to be invited to uh, the Senior Bowl? Or does that mean they're on the radar still? Well, I think they are on the radar, but... If a player, if you think a player is overrated, but he's a prominent name, wouldn't it be a good idea to see if he can showcase himself in this game? It's not like we haven't seen overrated, quote unquote, overrated prospects in this game before. And some of them have been able to hold their own and some of them haven't. I'm thinking of Marvin Wilson, for example, last year. He was a five-star recruit. Um, He went to Florida State. He was uh, in all the early first-round mock drafts in t- for 2021, and he went to the Senior Bowl, and he he just wasn't very wasn't a special player, and and he ends up going undrafted. Isn't that what you want to see? And as far as like labeling somebody a turd, I think we just need more information. Like, did he commit a crime? Uh, did he assault somebody? Or is he, is he, is he tough well, to coach? Like, I was going to say, one of the things that I've heard before, and I'm not saying this is what they mean, but I've heard the phrase lazy turd used before. So, yeah, is he? are you saying he's a lazy guy? Like, you know, g- give us something. But is it even thing. fair to, to say that a guy's lazy without knowing, like, the ins and outs of the program? And, and I'm just, I, I will – concede that Jim Nagy and his staff know the ins and outs of programs more than we do on this show. But I mean, I don't necessarily love like taking a coach's word for it um, that a guy's lazy or something like that without knowing more context to the situation. Like, and is, or is lazy 
is quote unquote lazy um, kind of a, a more of a standard of the program or is it a, a trait that's specific to this particular player? You know what I mean? Is it just a lax program or is it a guy who people are, are demanding something of, but he's not coming through? And if that's the case, why does he continue to play for your team? So I, I guess those are my issues. Like I understand not naming the players in this article because I think that would almost that would kind of be we would complain about that. We would we would complain about that on the show. Certainly people on Twitter would. That would be uncouth, but I think we need to know know more about the standard here. They love Georgia defenders, and that's not shocking because I mean, again, we've talked about it. Maybe the best defense of the past decade. Um, and and you know, they they specifically love big man Jordan Davis and then their linebackers. Um I mean, there's really not much to say about that other than that's not shocking in any way. No, uh, it's it's really not. And, um, you know, one thing I will say unrelated to the article is Nagy has kind of been pumping this idea that, that there's no real Heisman contender. So we must um, try and pump some defensive players into the argument. And among them, he has mentioned um i believe nicobe dean and other people have mentioned jordan davis i don't think as great as georgia's defense has been i don't think either of those players is uh deserving of being in the heisman conversation they're just not there's no uh productivity number that you can attach to those guys that's gonna override the productivity of um, guys like Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud, who are quarterbacking teams that are potentially going to make the playoffs. I think we need to redirect that Heisman argument, but I understand why uh, the Senior Bowl in particular and uh, NFL teams also are hungry to see more of these Georgia players. Now, if, if you're Georgia... And your go- your players are getting to let's say they get to the first playoff game minimum, right? These players are probably not going to ever appear in an All Star game. They're going to be uh, tuckered out by then, and their their agents are going to say, "Hey, look, you've done enough. You're a star on a playoff team, and you had a f- fantastic season. Why would you? You're not going to go risk injury in an All Star game. So it's going to be interesting. I think." It's it's very understandable that uh, Maggie and company love Georgia linebackers, love Jordan Davis, but I don't necessarily think they're going to get those players because I think those players would understandably opt out of an All Star game. Wide receiver Alec Pierce, the name we mentioned last week, last uh, week, yep, on this uh, very uh, outlet, right? Yeah. UTSA cornerback Tariq Woolen, a guy we've mentioned before, and Wyoming linebacker Chad uh, Myrna Muma. Sorry, Muma. Yeah, our or Mama. uh, Maybe he's Mama. Group of five guys they like. Uh, I talked about Pierce. I I'm there's a a lot I'm interested in in him about um, 
including his speed. You know, like I said, four six seven coming out. It's put on about twenty pounds. If he's legitimately over six two and two hundred and you know fifteen to twenty pounds, and he's running in the four fives, he's he's a day two prospect. Um, I, how have people not made the Cooper Cup uh, comparison? Because Cup ran a four six uh, plus, and he's having one of the best receiver seasons in the ever. league, if not the best right now, and yeah. uh, and. Pierce looks physically looks a lot like him in in Cincinnati's offense. Pierce is actually more of a deep threat. I think that Cup was Cup was more of a just like throw it to him every play because it was Eastern Washington. But uh, I got that right, the school right, right? Yeah. Okay. So, but Pierce is playing for a potential playoff team, and, and their top receiving make- threat. At least downfield, yeah, for sure, and and uh, so that makes me think he might be faster. We talked about him. He's he was a uh, three or four start, uh, three or four sport athlete in high school, including volleyball and and track and field. So that makes you think he's fast and he has hops. So um, I'm I'm surprised that the connection hasn't been made. I want to trademark this for when it's inevitably going to be become a comparison when he goes to the senior bowl and people start making the Cooper cup connection. Remember the original draft breakdown podcast when you hear that and yeah. please credit us. Yes. Well, I mean, to be fair, we last week when we started doing player comparisons, those came up in big draft articles. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and, and that's, that's a good plug for the patron patreon show because that we did the uh player comparison episode on patreon last week so two bucks a month you go back and hear that and then you can go back and and look at your twitter timeline and see that uh some people were catching up to us on that i think the best one was just the fact that you and i pulled out a 2001 reference with leonard davis and then that got some traction with evan neal last week so yeah Yep. That always that always makes you feel good about things. right, right. We're going back. We're digging back. I mean, I I was you know I was still old at in uh, two thousand one, but you weren't. So yeah, that's I was pretty 15, good comparison, so. right? <laughs> so uh, prospects of the week on offense and defense. Something we've fell behind on. Something we should have been doing more of. We're, uh, we're very selective about our prospects of the week. I mean, <laughs> one of the things is I do the box score scouting article on the Patreon every week, so you can really keep up with who we're watching if you subscribe to our, our, our Patreon and check out that article. But even if you don't, you're right, Seth. We should do a better job. Um, I'll let you go first on this one. Who is your offensive prospect of the week? My offensive prospect of the week was a guy that we've talked about and a guy that I'm kind of surprised isn't getting mentioned in Senior Bowl stuff, and you and I will have to kind of dig into it. Phil Jerkovich, back at Boston College. um, I'm going to start to make some argument that he might be the best quarterback in this draft. I love it. Um, I did some... Googling on uh, Phil earlier today, and I found out they pronounce his name Jerkovic. 
with the hard co. Okay, so um, we'll we'll work on that because I know we've used we've pronounced his name about fifteen different ways. But Phil Jerkovic, he broke his hand. And I think it was throwing hand, right? And we thought he was out for the season. This goes back several weeks. And it turns out he worked his butt off to get back on the field. He first got on two weeks ago, two Fridays ago against Virginia Tech. And he didn't throw too much. But then what we saw this week, they won that game, by the way. What we saw this week against Georgia Tech, he's taking deep shots. He's throwing for over 300 yards. He throws for two touchdowns. And then he runs for 71 yards and three touchdowns. This guy's 6'5", about 230. He's got a good arm. He's got athleticism. He had a 35-inch vert in uh, almost 36, coming out of high school at the opening. He ran a 4.86. That might seem slow, but he's put on about 20 pounds, about 15, 20 pounds. If you watch him, you, you're pretty. You're going to be pretty convinced that he has better mobility than a four eight six would suggest. Just think of Daniel Jones or think of uh, Wentz. You know these guys don't burn it. They run four eights at the combine, but you can tell they're athletic and mobile enough to buy time. You know Josh Allen, another one. He ran a high four seven, and obviously he's a good runner. So I love this pick, uh, Drakovic should start getting some run at least as a top three or four quarterback in this class. We had him at uh, quarterback four in our rankings back in September, by the way. My guy on defense, and you're going to have to help me with this one, is um, Nakobe. Is that is that Nakobe? Yeah, yeah, Nakobe. Nah, Kobe and uh, Dean. Uh, Linebacker from Georgia. I mean, uh, you know, it's a cheap way out to pick a, a Georgia defensive player, but man, he just continues to play at a high level. Um, every week, he's. I, I'm interested to see what the NFL thinks of him and where they, where they find a spot for him because he is. One of those guys, they list him at six feet, about 220, 225 pounds, right? He's one of those new age linebackers that's just got just got the juice, right? Um, but he had five, five tackles, two for a loss, one sack on the day, forced a fumble. Like this dude, 11 total tackles in the game. This dude is just, I mean, he is a high motor high level athlete yeah we i think we talked about him last week and i said he's going to start getting some first round buzz and sure enough he he has and maybe you know to be fair maybe i was a, a tick late to that party but he is uh just like you said he he's a player who lines up everywhere like he could be that overhang defender he could be he could play um a more conventional linebacker spot because you know, he, he just has a nose for the football. Um, go back to Quan Alexander, who was uh, at LSU back. And who was, few, who was a phenomenal pro until he just couldn't get healthy. 
Right. And and one of the things that he had was just speed, sideline, sideline. And uh, I think that's what we see with Dean. And so, you know, you and I are probably going to like this guy as more of a day two player, like early day two, like we talked about with Jeremiah owosu Kormoa, where, you know, just the, don't love that uh, smallish off the line, off the ball linebacker type of prospect. But draft Twitter is going to love this guy. And um, the NFL is going to like him quite a bit too because of his playmaking ability and his speed. And that's fair. I mean, what we, what we look for in a position at, at linebacker is going to be different. Um, we're consistent with that and that's fine. But if a team can, uh, can get him and utilize him like the way Cleveland does with JOK, uh, that, that is a player that's going to have value at the pro level. So I'm very impressed with, with this player. Um, it, they have, you know, Georgia is so interesting to me because they have such a phenomenal defense, but they have players that I like wouldn't like highly value in the draft. Jordan Davis, we talked about last week, and, and uh, Dean, we're talking about now. And it's not saying that we don't think these are great players. It's more of a positional value argument, but um, certainly both players are having phenomenal years and they're contributing on the best defense in college football and the best team in college football. So that's not to be forgotten. It just must be recognized that this is a real team effort on Georgia's part. And the sum is greater than the parts, I think. Even though I I really think these players are good, um, the sum of what they're doing is greater than the the individual parts. So let me get into my uh, top prospects of the week i'm gonna go with garrett wilson from ohio state garrett wilson had uh 10 catches over 120 yards three touchdowns receiving he also had a 51 yard touchdown rushing on an end around he helped ohio state blow out purdue he's the first player in ohio state history to have three receiving touchdowns and a rushing touchdown in the same game that's pretty you know kind of a junk stat but it's pretty unique thing to accomplish. And one of the things that stuck out to me, Seth, is that I've talked over and over about how I think Olave is, is the faster of the prospects between um, he and Garrett Wilson. But on that 51-yard end around, I swear Garrett Wilson hit a different gear that I didn't even really realize he was capable of. Our friend Kyle Posey, we were talking with him on Saturday uh, while we were watching these games. He said he he thinks Garrett Wilson might be a four three five guy, and I had to rethink my position that Wilson might be like a mid four five guy. He was flying on that fifty one yard end around, and certainly he's got great open field moves. I've always said he's he's better after the catch than Olave. It he might be faster than Olave, who I fully expect to run a uh, a four four. Or better, and we'll get back to that in a few minutes when we do the hot takes. Uh, what did you think of Wilson on Saturday? You know, it's interesting to watch these guys play every week because it feels like you're just watching two NFL wide receivers again. It, I mean, I, they're different style players than Ruggs and, and Devontae Smith were, 
But that's the same vibe you get that you're looking at two top 20 guys. Um, and it's, and it's any given week. One of them can just completely take over a game and that's a luxury. It's also one of those things that I think it's underrated when you're doing, when you're scouting players is what do they do in those non-dominant weeks? Because in the NFL outside of maybe Cooper cup, you know, this season, most players have, you know, eight to 10 big games a year. And it's what they do in those other six to eight games where they're not producing at a high level that makes a difference. And you see both of Wilson and Olave giving fantastic effort that, you know, they're still running their routes hard. They're still putting pressure on the secondary and then they block and all of those things matter. And that's what I really like about Wilson and Olave is that they don't seem like too much of me guys, but instead uh, they seem more like guys that are putting together, um, you know, strong bids of they're fine being a number two wide receiver because they can do it consistently. Yeah, that's a great point. And I, I talk about OSU receivers. They come out, they're well-rounded. They know how to run routes. They know how to run option routes. They know how to block. Uh, these two guys aren't even the top receiver on the team. It's Jackson Smith and Jigba, who's a sophomore, who leads the team in receptions and yards. You know, Olave leads the team in touchdown catches. He's uh, tied for first in the nation with 11. And he's had a couple more wiped off the board. And we saw him get... Uh, get into the finals for the Bolitnikoff Award. He's not going to win, but it is a testament, I guess, to him uh, that he was named a finalist and his teammates Garrett Wilson and Smith and Jigbo were not. Um, I think that's a little bit of name recognition there, which is, to me, I don't really have a problem. I don't think any of the three of them would win this award this year, but it just tells you how deep that receiving core is. And the fourth guy who would have been the fourth guy this year is Jameson Williams, who went to Alabama, and he is Alabama's leading receiver. He has 10 touchdowns over 1,000 yards, and he was named to the Bolitnikoff Award uh, finalist list. So that just tells you how deep that receiving core is at Ohio State. Um, Olave and Wilson are both going to be great pros next year and uh, should both go in the top 40. Of the draft. My uh, defensive player of the week was Arnold Ebiketti, the defensive end from Penn State. He's overshadowed a little bit because he was playing that game against Michigan where they had Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabo. I wanted to give Ebiketti some love. He's a transfer from Penn, uh, he's a transfer from Temple. He's playing at Penn State. He's having a phenomenal year. I wrote about him in the weekly box score scouting article on our Patreon, but he's got 15 and a half tackles for loss and eight and a half sacks in his senior grad transfer year at Penn state. Really like this guy. He's, he looks like a good athlete. Uh, Penn state obviously has a great strength and training program. So uh, this guy, two sacks and a forced fumble against Michigan. He really helped you know, keep Penn State in that game, and he's going to be a terrific pro. 
I mean, let's pay attention to these Penn State guys. We know uh, we talked about Odafe Owe. We liked him more than other people did. We had more faith in him uh, being productive without the college stats. But here's Ebiketti, uh going out and putting on the production out in college too. So uh, phenomenal year this guy's having. And uh, Penn State flailing a little bit right now, but there is there are a couple of good prospects on that team. Yeah, and you know what's always interesting about a guy like him that transfers to you know from Temple to Penn State. One, obviously, very intelligent to be a grad transfer in only four years. Um, I don't know if he redshirted in twenty seventeen, but um, maybe you know if he did, then just as impressive. Temple's a good school. Obviously, worked hard, but it's one of those things we talk about with pass rushers, right? Like the they either need to continue to get better every year or, or you know, kind of maintain. Um, and and Ebiketti has done that. You know, no sacks as a freshman, two sacks as a, as a sophomore, four sacks as a junior on bad Temple teams. I mean, let's be honest, not very good Temple teams. Um, those four sacks came in six games last year. I think that's a really important thing to kind of – put out there as well it's not like he played you know 12 games and had only four sacks um in fact his two sack season was in seven games uh last year he also had a forced fumble and a fumble return for a touchdown so like he was an active player last year on a bad temple team and then this year he gets to penn state and and gets with better players and, and becomes nearly i mean i think dominant is is a fair word to say and so those are the things that you look at is like in yeah i mean to that point seth like he's on the field with aiden hutchinson who people are saying is uh reminiscent of a watt brother um he's on the field with david ojabo who we talked about a couple weeks ago who it deserves talk about uh, as a top 15 pick himself top 10 15 pick these guys are having phenomenal years and forcing fumbles. And he held his own in a head-to-head matchup with those guys. Like, he kept pace with those players. Hutchinson had three sacks. Ajabo had two. Ebiketti had two. These guys were – were all three of them were balling. I'm, I'm very, very impressed with all of them. couple interesting games this week. Uh, Friday, Memphis at Houston. Um Really, Memphis. just one one interesting yeah. game. <laughs> Memphis, well, until Saturday. Uh, until yeah, Saturday. that's how we should have prefaced it. Uh, Memphis wide receiver uh, Kevin Austin the third has back to back one thousand yards. That's a typo on my part, Calvin. Calvin, okay, yeah, and and two career punt return touchdowns. So dynamic player with the ball in his hands. Uh, Houston's Logan Hall has nine tackles for loss and four sacks this year. He's a defensive lineman. Always important to watch those guys because they tend to creep up. Now, obviously, we've talked a lot about group of five guys and and how probably, unless they're just complete freaks, they shouldn't be looked at even in the you know in the first round. But Hall's a guy in a in a class where there's not a ton of interior defensive line talent to just keep an eye on. Right, Hall is six six, listed at six six two seventy five. 
And the reason that we want to keep an eye on him too is Peyton Turner came out of Houston last year. Uh, he was a late riser. He tested very, very well athletically. And it seems that Logan Hall is going to fit that same kind of profile this year. Going back to Calvin Austin, like you said, Seth, two uh, back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons. He's got the punt return ability. He, he can be an offensive weapon. I know that Eric Galco of the Shrine Bowl is interested in Calvin Austin. Thing is, he's 5'9", 162. He's very small. He's got that Marquise Hollywood Brown build. But he also has that Marquise Hollywood Brown speed. He was a sub 4-4 kid out of high school. He ran, a, I believe, a 4-3-7 at the opening. So Calvin Austin has legit NFL speed. And you're very right. We said it on the uh, – go back and listen to our Patreon show a few weeks ago when we talked about uh, – it's titled the G5 Summit. We talked about group of five players and how we kind of should evaluate them and, and how we should weigh their measurables and their production against Power 5 prospects. And we talked about the hit rate. It's not great on group of five players in the first two rounds. But we – we are not talking about the first two rounds for these guys. As of now, today, if you can get these guys in the third to fifth round, these players could end up being contributors to your team. So I really like these players. This is a good matchup. These teams are unranked. Houston is favored by nine and a half. They're the home team. Um, I'm inclined to take Memphis on the road if I'm betting on this game just to cover. Yeah, I haven't been super impressed with what Houston's done this year in terms of just covering things. Um, But they're very, uh, you know, they're very good defense. Um, I think that they're going to, you know, I think that they're going to struggle at times. But Memphis has been so inconsistent this year on offense. Yeah. but nine and a half is a lot, man. I'm gonna take I'm gonna take Houston in this game, but something like uh, thirty to twenty one. So right at that line. I mean, okay. it's basically a, a pick 'em or a, a coin flip on what you want to do. So neither one of us thinks Memphis is gonna win or cover or or uh, beat the spread. So you know, Houston, uh, Memphis is. I'm sorry, Memphis is going to uh, beat the spread according to both of us, but not win this game. Yeah. You got a hot take that came in late today. <laughs> it was. And we got to go back to Olave, man, because uh, it's just, it's, you know, and, and uh, everybody that listens to this show knows that I'm an Ohio State grad and I follow the Ohio State Buckeyes very closely, you know. But I, I hope that everybody that listens to this show knows that I try and be as, as, fair as possible as fair as humanly possible about these players i've told you uh you know for example devin smith was not a second round pick was not a top 50 pick people doubted me on that i i know he had injury problems but he just wasn't i you know i uh, i there are other examples I, you know i've guaranteed you that the boses are good um even when there were, were doubts about that i i said you know for example, Michael Jordan, the guard, was not a, a top two-round pick. So I could go on, but 
uh, I'm, I'm trying to be fair here. Uh, this came from at Draft Vogel on Twitter. And he said, I know a lot of people on here love Chris Olave, but let's talk about him for a minute. What are his outstanding traits? Acceleration? Catch through contact? Route running isn't great. Doesn't sell his fakes. And I don't think he runs much faster than 455. 455 in the 40. All right, so um, I've, I've talked about how his uh, contact balance is is one of those things that I had an issue with. I don't think he's great after contact because he's he's slim. You know, so I do think he goes down fairly readily in the open field. I mentioned that he had some problems with fumbles last year because he kept trying to fight ahead and he's slim. So when he takes a hit um, and he's trying to fight through contact, he tended to lose the ball, right? This year, he's sitting down when he gets into the open field, I talked about it uh, last week where I think he's taken a cue from those old Colts receivers, Marvin Harrison and um, Reggie Wayne, where you just get to a position where you're like, okay, I've gained enough yards. I'm going to sit down and just take the yards and live to see another play. That's good. That's a good thing. Um, Acceleration. Yeah. I think that is an outstanding trait that he has. He's Ohio state's best deep threat and this is a team that has three fantastic um pro prospect receivers right now and probably another couple in the holster uh olave still is their best deep threat like i said before he has 11 touchdowns this year he's had a couple more that were called back because of offensive holding penalties but he beats people deep better than any other receiver on the team um, route running isn't great. I take issue with that because Ohio State's receivers are coached by Brian Hartline to run option routes. So their whole their whole game is route running. And all three of them, uh, uh, Olave, Garrett Wilson, Smith and Jigba, you're going to see pretty precision route running. The thing is they have freedom to run the routes they want to run. And C.J. Stroud, because of a fantastic offensive line, has all the time in the world to make the play. He's only been sacked seven times all year. So uh, throw the route running out. And doesn't sell his fakes? I have no idea what that means. And don't think he runs much faster than 4.55. I've addressed that. He ran a 10.82 meters in high school. That kind of speed translates into a low 4-4 range. And uh, the school has not clocked at 4-3-8. So you can take that with a grain of salt. Ohio State has a fast track. In the past, some of their uh, times have been fast and some of their times have been spot on when it comes to the combine. So um, let's say you add .1 to that. Uh, so maybe he runs a 4-4-8 I don't think he's that. I, I mean, I think he's faster than that. Uh, I'd be surprised if he doesn't run at least a 4-4-3. I still think he's the fastest of the three between himself, Garrett Wilson, and Smith and Jigba. So um, I've broken down this tweet. I responded to this tweet on Twitter. Uh, Draft Vogel has not responded to me. So uh, at, at least as, as of this taping... But sometimes people know when they have been put in their place.
Anything else before we get out of here? No, uh, it's just been a, a it's been a fun season to this point. I'm looking forward to uh, December. We're going to get into the bowls. We're going to get into uh, the real nitty gritty of draft season, and uh, we're going to see a lot more hot takes like the one we saw in Olave. Four five five is just wildly it, like he would have to have like a pulled muscle to run a four five five. Yeah, he would. I mean, it's crazy to me that four five fives. I mean, that's genuinely not fast for a guy his size. <laughs> it's and, not. And, no, no. We would criticize him if if he was a four five five guy, but he's just not. He. I mean, you don't run a ten eight two a hundred meters in high school, and uh, that. That's not a four five five. Like you would have to be physically injured to run a four five five. And I just don't think a lot of people. I think a lot of people fire off these takes without doing a lot of research. And um, you now I'm not trying to beat up on on Draft Bogle. Um, he seems like a nice guy. He seems like a guy who wants to to uh, do well in this in this space. But you're gonna have to, you know. Do do a couple Google searches. Search hundred meters. Search track. Search uh, forty times for these guys, and you'll find out that you know it just doesn't make sense. I mean, you watch Olave every week. He he literally uh, burned Purdue by like five yards for a touchdown. That got called back for a penalty last week. All you had to do was tune in. Uh, it's it's not that tough. Thanks for listening. As always, we'll be back later this week with our Patreon show. So if you're not a member, go to Patreon, sign up. $2 a month gets you the extra episode. $4 a month gets you a couple articles a week. And we'll continue to bring that to you twice a week into draft season. Thanks for listening. As always, we'll be back later this week with another episode of the Original Draft Breakdown Podcast. We need to do an outro at some point. That just something kind of what I hear in other shows is where they're like, uh, you know, uh, subscribe and give us a five star review. Sign up for our Patreon. It's two dollars a month for our bonus episodes. Four dollars a month for all additional content. Something like that. Yeah, we should work on something like that. That we could be it right a, there. A read. Yeah. That's it. Right yeah. Exactly. <laughs>